Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good. Happy uh, Happy episode two hundred. Oh wow! <laughs> Such a surprise. I know. It actually, is a surprise. That's cool. I forgot. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit last week offline, I think, and we were kind of like, should we do something special? Should we do like a big old look back episode or a big old like lessons or whatever? And it's kind of like. I don't know. I don't think that's in exactly in the style of this podcast. I think 200 should be just a just another updates show. Just mark the moment and move on. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, it's been cool recording all these episodes with you. It has. Yeah. We should keep doesn't, doing this. Doesn't feel like 200. I know. I know. Um, yeah. Just kind of this has become such a part of the normal routine that mm-hmm. uh, I sort of lose track of the timeline a little bit. Yeah. It doesn't really feel that much like work to me. So. Mm-hmm. Just kind of goes by. Yep. Same. Cool. Well, let's keep going. Yeah. So I've been at um, a ski house up in Vermont the last few weeks. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It's quite. Uh, it's quite nice. It's. I'm doing that thing again where it's like do some work in the morning, go skiing in the afternoon, or vice versa. It's really just kind of a nice way to live. You have teammates with you, or are you just kind of up there on your own? I do. Um, Joel and Spencer are here. We actually had a f- the full company come out uh, a couple weeks ago for a retreat. Mm. That's right. I think we talked about that a little bit on a prior episode. How did that? How did that go? Was it successful? You think uh, it was successful? So the goal was to just mostly spend unstructured time together and get to know each other better and like have some of that just like, like quality bonding time. And I would say we definitely hit that goal. Played a lot of cards. Played a lot of euchre. Cooked some meals. Ate together. Went and toured this cute Vermont town, so it was it was good. We had a lot of just like casual time hanging out. Was, Have you spent much much like in person time with with all of these teammates that came, or was this like the first time for some of them to really be spending time in person? First time for some. I had spent time in, uh, in person with most, uh, but there was I think just one person I hadn't met face to face before. Were there any big like surprises? Like, oh, you're different than I thought you would be. Not necessarily in a bad way, but just like in general, you know. Um, not too much, actually. Not so much. Like, you know, if there's like, oh, wow, you're taller than I thought you were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but personality-wise, I feel like people, I actually feel like I had a decent read on most folks, I would say. And they, 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 sort of, they are sort of similar to their online selves. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> it's funny just how, how long we can go in these types of businesses, like theoretically not meeting our coworkers in person. <laughs> just such a, such a new century kind of thing that like, Companies of old never had to deal with because it was always in person. <laughs> yeah, so it is crazy. So we did this exercise uh, that I stole from the great CEO within book where I pulled up a Google Doc and we all sort of joined it anonymously with like incognito browsers. And I wrote the word joy at the top. And I was like, what are some things about people that are bringing you joy? And everyone like kind of used a scratch pad and like wrote up some stuff and then pasted it in the doc all at once. And then we read together as a group and like, you know, bolded the ones that like stood out to us and kicked off some discussions. And then we did the same thing for fear, which was really interesting, uh, just to like surface some stuff. Um, and then we finished with excitement. So looking towards the future. And it was the only like, uh, I guess, like a business-y, corporate-y retreat activity thing that we did. But I'm glad we did it. Like originally we weren't planning on doing anything, but uh, this, I feel like that was like, actually really useful thing to do and it led to some good conversations. Hmm. Since it was in a shared doc, like, and people are just sort of typing at the same time, is it pseudo anonymous then? Or are you kind of, yeah, that's, the, that's the idea is that it is okay. anonymous. Okay. Yeah. We wrote our answers in a separate place. 
Mm-hmm. So everyone typed for a while. I was like, okay, everyone ready? All right. And we all pasted in at the same time. Got it. So nice. it's, you could, I mean, if you really wanted to, you could probably make some guesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, it was fairly anonymous. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. You were able to work through some things, build some cohesion through that exercise? Yeah, totally. No, there were some tricky conversations generated by the fear stuff. And it was nice to be able to do those in person. And I was actually, I was kind of mourning that as I was thinking about, as I was reflecting on it later. I, like, I thought of another thing. I was like, oh, it would have been, been nice to talk about this while we were all together. It made me a little sad that we can't do that more often. Whereas like, it definitely felt like there were things that we could get into and they would go better in person than like trying to address them at an all hands. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And so I was like a little bit sad. I was like, ah, it's too bad we can't do this, you know, a lot more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, because when there's thorny things, it, it just it just feels much better when someone's in front of you. Right. Right. That's probably the, one of the better arguments that I've heard for like startups justifying being in in office together. Drip and lead pages before Drip sort of had this baked into their culture, you know, kind of feeling like it's just best practice for us to all be in the same place. And of course there's trade-offs because then you're giving up on talent pools or you're having to pay to relocate people and not everyone would, is willing to do that. And so there's all the trade-offs, of course, but like that does seem like one of the most especially if you're like moving really fast, probably if you're venture backed, you're trying to move even faster. And so like the, the rate at which a lot of these sticky thorny issues come up is pretty high. So that seems like one of the more compelling reasons to, uh, to have more FaceTime, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe we do have fewer problems than probably. Yes, I would say there's probably fewer sticky things at Tuple than if we were trying to grow at an insane clip. Yeah, I would, I would guess like if you were hiring, like if you're growing the team by, you know, five to 10 team members per quarter or something, then like there's a lot more chances for like <laughs> awkward um, interpersonal things to arise or just, I don't know, the company's just changing so fast, you know? Totally. Yep. And so because we've hired slowly and also because we have a pretty strong pairing culture, I think there's a decent amount of like communication is going pretty well, it feels like to me. Information diffuses through pairing sessions, I think fairly well. This has actually happened last time too. We did an in-person retreat. I'm always kind of like, oh, that is cool. I do like hanging out with these people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's an interesting trade-off for sure. Do you think you'll try to stick to like a twice a year type of cadence or? That's what we talked about. Yeah. I think twice a year is probably about right. I mean, I would go, I would go, as, I would go quarterly if it were me. It seemed like the vibe was people were leaning towards twice a year. Yeah. So, yeah. It's logistics and families and all that yeah. kind of stuff gets in the way. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Well, cool. I'm glad it was a glad it was a good retreat. Yeah, that's nice. We're doing a lot of interviewing these days, which is pretty cool. We have candidates in the pipeline that we are kind of excited about for a few different positions, which is a really nice place to be. It's like who knows if it'll work out, but it's nice to like be like, oh, we don't know if it'll work out, but at least there's some prospects. We're hiring for a couple tricky roles and. It's been hard to find people we're stoked about, but that's changing. Where have these primarily come from? Do you have help of a recruiter? Are you doing like manual uh, outreach? Yeah, um, some of it is my Twitter as usual. Um, and some of it, yeah, we've actually hired um, a couple of recruiters um, for the trickier things on the engineering side. Uh, and that has really been helping, which is awesome. I was like, had a little bit of a skepticism around that. 
but it's proving to actually generate some quality candidates for us. So yeah, that's awesome. That's like actually, that feels like a, a relief where it's like, okay, we might not have to like do pure sourcing from our own networks for, for some positions, which is awesome. What I've been hearing anecdotally is that it's just, it's tough out there to find good talent because there's so many people kind of, there's a lot of people in the job market, but it's like an especially competitive environment, I guess, right? To like find talented people who are available and willing to join your org. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting time in the world for sure. Like we're in a Slack together with some friends and I remember someone saying, you know, we used to get a ton of applications because we were one of the few companies that hired remotely. Mm, yeah. That competitive advantage is gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That used to be yeah. an edge. And that is not so anymore. I've seen someone lamenting that. And then also we have some friends that like work with a lot of like offshore developers in places typically where like the rates would be much lower than like US based folks. And those folks are getting more expensive too. Which makes sense because now suddenly way more people can hire them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and demand is super high. So it's like, yeah, maybe you used to be able to get amazing people at, you know, low, low rates, but they've been walking those rates up. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually been meaning to like tweet at <laughs> Patrick McKenzie about this because it seems like the rates for everyone is go- are, are going up. The people in cheaper places are getting more expensive, but also US-based people are getting more expensive. And so I sort of would expected like the cheaper developers to start competing with US developers and kind of pull those salaries down perhaps, or at least hold on to them in some way. Uh, but it seems like everything's just going straight up. And maybe it's just because like demand is actually just still way, way, way ahead of supply. It always fascinated me that like you could theoretically find, you know, like um, really good developers who are, you know, really good with communication, know know English well, know the language, have experience, and are just on the other side of the world living in a place where it's lower cost of living and you could just pay less money. Like that's fascinating that it's always seemed struck me as like, well, if they're really comparable in terms of skill set, then why, you know, why are they so much cheaper? I guess the only trade-off is you're dealing with maybe no time zone overlap if you wanted to if you wanted to try to overlap with them a bunch or something, then maybe that's part of the baked into the discount you would expect. But still, like, seemed like arbitrage that wasn't going to last forever because they would realize, like, well, if we're if we're on par with U.S. developers, then we should be getting you know closer to what what they're getting compensated. Right, and if you're a U.S. developer, maybe your compensation is going to move towards theirs. Yeah, right. It's like, are you really worth three times as much as this person over here? Yeah. But so far, yeah, so far we haven't seen any of that tamping down. It's just everything rising up. So yeah, so far it seems like everything's just going up. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'd be curious for uh, Patrick's take on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, put his economics hat on. He's good at wearing that one mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, our Linux app is coming along. Ooh, nice. Mm-hmm. I got myself a uh, System76 Linux laptop. Oh yeah, <laughs> cool. Which is, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> Hardware-wise, it like really cannot hold a candle to a MacBook, which is not shocking. Uh, MacBook Pros are just like unbelievable. I mean, especially now the new ones are just unbelievable machines. So it's like, as, as hardware, it feels like, bleh, don't like. As software, though, it's pretty good. I have a lot of muscle memory built up for Mac OS stuff, so it's taking some adjustment. But there are some cool things that are built in on this machine that I, that I like so far like window management T type things. Like I, I always install size up, I think it is on Mac OS. So I can have keyboard shortcuts to like arrange windows. And a bunch of those things are just built in to the window manager, which is nice. You're like in the point where it's kind of something that's actively 
being tested, like you could just spin up a, a tuple session right now with your test Linux box and kind of test regular builds. Yeah, nice. uh, yeah, it works. You can do calls, you can share your screen, you can hear each other. Um, so stuff is, is in progress. There are still some big chunks that are not there, like webcam um, and like various control modes and things like that. But like it's it's sort of starting to feel like a real product, which is cool. We're on the cusp of like ramping up the the like the alpha invites. It's starting to feel like, oh, the, the finish line might be over there somewhere. <laughs> or at least, like the, at least the, the release line, I should say. Is Linux still feeling like a, like probably the top, the number one project that will like unlock a bunch of people who are otherwise blocked on becoming Tuple customers right now? Well, yes. So it, is it the number one project to unlock people who are blocked? Probably yes. Because there are lots of people that work at places with Linux developers. There seems to be a lot of like heterogeneous environments where it's Mac and Linux. And so we get a pretty steady stream of like, please Linux, please. If your goal is make it so that there are people who couldn't use Tuple can now use Tuple, Linux is, this, this should be a pretty nice checkbox there. That'll be a pretty big win. I wouldn't say it's our top requested thing overall. So if you polled our user base overall, like what they wanted, I wouldn't, uh, Linux is in the top probably three or four, but I would say it's number one. But that's for more for like enhancing the experience of existing customers, not, not bringing, opening up a new market. Do you feel anxious to like, to kind of shift resources back towards um, some of those top requested things? Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, and we've been like setting, like getting small stuff, like smaller stuff out there for our existing folks. But yeah, like given that like 100% of our current customers effectively are on Mac OS. Uh, I, I definitely want to prioritize some stuff for them, but but now we're like we're getting closer to a world where we ship features simultaneously on multiple platforms, which will be great. Like we're, we're we're trying to push more things into the engine, and so once you do it in the engine, now it's just like it's just everywhere. Theoretically, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a, um, a fun experience, so I I actually signed up for my own Tuple account. For the first time before I was just on the tuple team and we would <laughs> like from way back in the day we used it for recording this podcast but since my developers started there's been a bunch of things that have prevented us from doing our our regular one once a week meetup cadence <laughs> then I've been like okay well I want to I've been like doing kind of daily check-ins with him like just sync up for 15 minutes in the morning and I'm like you know what we should do this over tuple in case we need to share screens or talk through something and then we have like paired a couple times not like full on like building features per se but like definitely doing some walkthrough of some code base or do some like tandem code review or whatever and so I was like okay, time to like spin up a tuple account and it was fun I got some like data because he hadn't used well I had used tuple before I don't think he had it was his first time kind of installing it and running through it and like after our first call you have an automated email that goes out from Dorothy, I think <laughs> it's like, hey, you just did your first call. Do you have any like feedback for us, or how did it go? And as we were on it, we were kind of talking through. Like, I got some of that like really glorious first run experience gut feedback, and I was like, ooh, I got to share this with the Tuple people. <laughs> um, he was a little bit confused about how the webcam stuff worked, and was like, oh, I wish I could see myself persistent. And da, 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 da. so he just like shared a couple of these things, and and then that email landed in my inbox that was like, hey, how did it go? And that was just felt like the perfect venue for me to like reply with a couple lines of like, yep, here are just a few bullet points that we discussed as like he was doing his first run through Tuple. So I thought that was like that was a well timed email. So good job on that. And uh, yeah, good. Uh, do you remember the things? Uh, yeah. So let's see. I can actually 
there, there was a day where I would, I would have known, of course, instantly when you signed up. Yep. <laughs> I hadn't seen this, this email come in, of course. Yep, yep. But, so yeah, I got that email. It said, hey, I'm Dorothy, one of the Tuples team members, in a picture. And I was like, ah, oh, that's right. I got to do more of the picture and the email the thing. Pictures. Because, oh, it works. Yeah, that does just immediately warm it up and make it feel more personal. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so how was your first pairing session? Any, any good bugs to report? <laughs> That copy, um, and so I said, "Yeah." So we we talked about it would be nice to have an option to see our own webcam picture in picture style. So like, I've felt this a little bit, but I'm like, I know it's like good in theory to not see your own self. Like maybe you you get a little bit less fatigue from watching your own video, but also like it would be nice to have a little persistent monitor just to make sure I'm still in frame and like the lighting's not all weird. Like I don't know, so. And Taylor also expressed that, like, yeah, it's weird not being able to see myself. I want to be able to see myself. Um, all the time. All the time. Yep. Like, at a glance. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this, this battle. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate the fact that Tuple's opinionated about this, but I think that it feels like a good thing to just have, like, an option to turn on picture in picture. And then you could default it to off, but, all, but also it's there if someone is a, an insane person like us and wants it there all the time. <laughs> You're not insane. There's a lot of people like you and I get it. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm hoping that if we do a, like a really tiny version, mm-hmm. people claim they want to make sure they're still in frame. I think they want to stare at themselves. So I want to make sure yourself hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's a little bit of comfort aspect to it where like if I'm talking and like, I don't know, sometimes it feels like I'm just talking into a void because I know the camera's on me, but I can't see myself. And it is a little bit disorienting at times. Maybe that's something that goes away the more you speak into a void without seeing your own monitor. But I, uh, <laughs> I, there's a comfort aspect that, like, that like, re- makes me relaxed if I know that, like, okay, I can glance over at any time and see what the other person's seeing. We talked about the square aspect ratio he had to shuffle around in, on his workstation because he's like, well, I have a couple monitors here in my webcam. And so sometimes like he ends up sitting slightly off center, but he's like the square made him like, okay, let me, let me move my chair. And so he was like, it would be nice if it was just 1080p or whatever, the, whatever comes through from the webcam itself. I forget why we cropped that. Okay. And I think those were the only two things, honestly. Um, oh, nice. Both webcam and things. And then I said call quality was very good. It was, it was great. Like, I hadn't really, yeah. It's been it had been a long time, and I think you guys have added like your default like 4K or whatever mode since. So like, as soon as he shared his screen, it was like pixel perfect <laughs> to, you know, which, which is not necessarily what you expect. You expect to see compression, so that was like very um, impressed with that. Cool, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate the feedback. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> I'll try not to argue with you about it too much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. Um, Here's a question for you. Yeah. Have you thought about like equity and profit sharing and such for, for people that you hire or may hire in the future? Mm. That's a good question. Um, so I've only thought about it in so far as when I converted to a C Corp, you know, you kind of like set up your set up your equity structure when 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 you do that. And I like part of what you can do is like set aside a certain percentage for like employee option pool and you know and then it's just there kind of structurally so you can start tapping into that when the time is right to do that. I think that for me I'm just waiting to see kind of what the trajectory of the company ends up looking like. Like are we what I want to make sure is that anything that I incentivize employees with will truly align with like what my goals are for the company. So like if it's 
you know, build this company for a, for a really long, long haul and just like throw off dividends, then I want, want it to be structured one way. And if it's like, no, we're planning to like grow this pretty quickly and maybe have an exit, then that would probably mean structuring structuring a different way. So like profit sharing versus equity. So I think it's like I'm still just deferring that decision because I'm still not not totally sure what what the like five year trajectory is going to look like for the company. I haven't had I've been forced to make that decision yet. So I'm just sort of sort of kicking it down the line, I guess. Mm. It's nice that you have the option pool already set up though. So if you do decide yeah. to go that way, it's easy. Right. Right. Hmm. That's interesting that you that you don't feel like you like one of those directions is calling to you. I, I go back and forth in my own head. Like obviously I want this to be as meaningful an outcome as possible. And I could just see it going I could see it going either path, honestly. If I don't have to set that in stone with the way I or or feel like I'm setting it more in stone with the way I'm incentivizing employees, then I just will, you know, kind of defer that decision, I guess. Is that something you're wrestling with? Uh, kind of continuously, yeah. Yeah, like we haven't made any decisions about it, but we keep talking about it uh, and it keeps coming up. It feels like all approaches to me have trade-offs. And so there's no just clear, obvious, oh, this is just a big win. Let's do this for sure. I don't feel like we're like quite ready to choose our trade-offs almost. Like you said, like, okay, give everybody a bunch of options or equity. Now maybe you have senior tenured employees that really want you to sell the company and maybe you don't and maybe you buy them back or not or something. Um, but could create a weird situation. Profit sharing feels a little weird because I could see how like no matter what you say about it, it's going to not feel like a bonus. It's going to feel like part of your compensation. And so it's like, oh, this year we've decided like really heavily invest in XYZ. There will be little to no profit sharing this year. It's just like doesn't seem like fun news to deliver. It's like, oh, here's part of your compensation. But by the way, you don't control it and it's variable. And it's like we might decide to make it go down. Seems like it could be bad there too. It's complicated. Yeah. That's where it's important to have that defined on what what is the trajectory of the company going to look like. Because if you decide it's it's we're going to try to grow try to grow aggressively and that means pretty aggressive reinvestment of profit, then that seems to point to like options as a better vehicle. But if it's like we're not gonna heavily reinvest and we're going to optimize for cash flow, then then that those incentives are in lo- aligned for the profit sharing model, I think. And so, the, yeah, it's like that that looming question of like, well, if we decide to heavily reinvest this year, that would sort of indicate like maybe a trajectory change. If it's like prior, we were not heavily reinvesting, and suddenly we decided to do that, then that's that to me feels like a, a kind of a fundamental shift in like, no, we're going to optimize for growth instead of cash flow. I think that's why it's so hard to pin down like, what are you optimizing for? Uh, why I still continue to go back and forth on that. Yeah, that's tricky. I have and I have like these like logical arguments of like, oh, why this like why this doesn't make sense or why this doesn't make sense. Like, like no, you shouldn't want this because X Y Z. It's like, but if people want it, they want it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like <laughs> at the end of the day, it's like okay, like well, yeah, I, we could disagree about what you should want or you know what what makes the most sense. But if if like lots of people that are trying to hire all want this one thing or like all that work here want this one thing, it's like well. There's there's going to be some conflict if we if we don't want to do it. To me, it would just feel disingenuous to offer, for example, options if I knew that like that probably wasn't going to actually benefit them for a long time or maybe ever. You know, it just feels like disingenuous. But I don't know if you're finding people are just kind of like wanting options, for example, without even knowing what the end goal of the company is. You know, 
I'm hesitant to give any kind of in, any kind of like incentive that's like now you own a piece of this, but you don't really, and that maybe this won't actually benefit you in the way that you're thinking it might. Doesn't feel good, you know. Yeah. So. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tricky, tricky stuff. Yeah. yeah. What else is going on with you? Um, so we did a product market fit survey again. Oh um, yeah. I think we ran our last one last August. So it had been a little while, a bunch more new customers since then. And I was kind of curious to see, you know, like metrics wise, how are we doing on the kind of classic product market fit question of how, how disappointed would you be if you couldn't use the product anymore? Sean Ellis would say we have product market fit. <laughs> We're at like, <laughs> like 42%, I think, on that. And it's moved up a, a bit since, uh, since the last time we ran the survey. So that, that feels pretty good. I think each time we do these, we're going to have some kind of special goal of like what other data do we want to collect in the course of running the survey. And this time around, we we sort of took a risk. Like it was a bit long. Like there were a bunch of questions, most of them optional, so you could just skip over them if you wanted to. But we were trying to get a sense for like what features are people really dying to have. And I was curious to see if this would if this would come out different than the sense that I have just from having conversations with customers in support or just as they organically reach out. We were curious, like, what what roles of person are getting the most value out of the product? Because, you know, it's a pretty, we're a pretty horizontal tool, so there's a lot of people in a lot of different roles who are using the product, but some of them probably are considering it to be much more crucial in their workflow than other people. So we wanted to try to get a sense for, for like, what are those clusterings of, of use cases and how can we potentially, you know, double down on some of those and try to get more of those types of customers. It was nice because like Corey pretty much led this whole process, you know, crafted the questions, sent the survey out and did did analysis on it. And of course I have the raw results too. But it was nice having having a hand in doing that so I could still focus on product while we were kind of running that project. It was pretty cool to see like the so one of the, the a big feature that I'm working on right now is meeting polls. Basically being able to do what you can kind of do with Doodle, where you propose some times, send it to a group of people, and people vote on the times that work for them, and then you pick a time. So it's kind of one mode of multi-way scheduling. And it's something I'm really excited about because this is going to be a free feature. So you won't you won't have to pay for SavvyCal to use this. This is this is the way I'm like thinking I'm most excited about experimenting with freemium in like what mo- what things can I add to the product and release for free as opposed to like releasing some of our current functionality for free. Like it feels to me, something doesn't feel good about taking some of the stuff we're already charging for and making it available for free. We might still do that at a certain point, but like it feels like there's a lot of risk in that. And like we have our SAS metrics are really strong. So I don't want to, I don't really want to mess with a good thing that's working and potentially cannibalize revenue. And to me, it just feels like there's, there's a certain degree of risk in that that I just don't want to do at this very moment, but I am pretty jazzed about like building a feature like this and releasing it for free and and getting some of the the benefits of freemium without cannibalization. Yeah, so like people kind of ranked that as it surfaced as like one of the top requested things is like being able to run a poll and do group scheduling and a couple other like the other top two things I would say are are like keep making it into my cycle planning <laughs> notes so like they're so I, uh, that, that was validating to know that I feel like we have a pretty good sense of what our existing customers are wanting. So it wasn't like any kind of you know, big, big surprises in there with that. There were definitely a couple things that we learned that, 
that were, wasn't immediately obvious. And so that was, that was valuable. But yeah, overall, I feel pretty encouraged. I had this thought as you were talking about don't move something that's from the existing things out into the free world. Start with a new free thing, but then maybe move the things later. I guess that, I guess, yeah, I guess that does make sense. I was thinking like, does, if you're eventually going to do it, does the order actually matter? But I see where you're getting at where you don't want to come along and say, hey, paying subscribers, some part of this is now free. Um, maybe you just cancel. Enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's ultimately what it'll, what it'll take if we're going to go that route, which is pretty much what I think most freemium products that start with paid, they, that's, they have to do that at some point and potentially you know, shave off a good chunk of revenue. And people have advised me like it's easier to do this early on. So that would be one vote. <laughs> one vote for doing that now is like the more revenue you have, the harder it is to make that to make that shift and, and, you know, so I hear that. I hear that argument for sure, but this one definitely tortures me. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie. I, uh, I think about it a lot, you know, because I know that there's potentially a lot of, a lot of, um, growth benefits to releasing a free plan, having some free scheduling links, but our metrics are just, they're trending in the right direction. Churn's pretty low. Conversion rate's good. We're growing at a pace that I'm happy with. It's improving each month. So I'm like, do I want to mess with this? I don't mm. know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, that's tough. Like, it's like, I really like my current local maximum. Yeah. Right. There's so many variables that go into a like working SaaS model, you know, and like sometimes changing one of them can just have unknown ramifications on other variables. And I'm just, that scares me a little bit, honestly. It does. But, um, but there's plenty of like prior art out there on similar tools that follow this model and it seems to work well for them. And so I should probably just bite the bullet, but this, I don't know, this feels like a, a, a less risky middle ground of like releasing new free features. Yeah, um, I like it. It seems like a good so, way to test it out, see what happens. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It also feels like a good fit for that. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, this is a feature that's going to get used by like a big block of people. Mm-hmm. like a big group and like you're gonna want to share it around to a bunch of folks and like that yep. ha- having that part be free seems makes sense to me yeah it still has the virality component built into it so as they as they share a meeting poll everyone they're sharing with still sees it so it gets all that kind of that component of spread to it yeah so we'll need a savvy cal account to use it but not a, not a paid subscription correct yep yep and then there's other like tools that we sort of have five floating around an idea doc that are smaller in scope that would be good candidates for releasing for free. Like for example, being able to create an event through savvy Cal, a lot of people will like submit their own link to create an event because they can sort of set up, they can set up the parameters in advance. Like this is what it's going to be called. It has a zoom meeting attached. It has this specific information attached to it. And so they don't want to go like retype all of that into Google calendar. They just like submit their own link and it creates the event for them <laughs> with the exact like metadata attached to it. And so I could see like allowing you to create events through Savvy Cal without a paid account and link up your Zoom account and have it all like done for you that way. That could be another cool thing to release. Yeah, there's some other stuff that I'm going to keep keep secret for now. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I'm glad to hear that the business is growing well. You're happy with that? Yeah, this uh, this has been a, a very good month. Nice. January started out like kind of off to a slow start ended well but it was like 
kind of rocky. And this one is just like dead on the goal trajectory and profit well. So oh, nice. My my mental health state has been very, very strong because MRR is looking good. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's yeah. funny. I know Tyler Tringas likes to tweet like, "You are not your MRR." Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's aspirationally true. Yes, exactly. Theoretically, <laughs> in, in practice, it is tough to separate those things. Mm-hmm. I know I should. I mean, that, that'd be yes. great. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. Well, hey, it's like congrats. This one's working. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, it's um, it's a very it's a very good spot to be in. Mm-hmm. Very thankful for it. I think this is going to be the Tuple and Savvy Cal show for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For a while, it wasn't it wasn't clear what it was going to be. I know, I know. It's gone. That's another thing. Like two hundred episodes, and we've gone through a lot of iterations of different things. You um, weren't still at Drip when we started, were you? I was. Um, well, definitely in the giant robots days, and I think even some of the AOP days, I was. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. You go all the way back to Drip on AOP. The AOP. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Crazy. I know. Drip level static kit static cal. Yeah, refactoring rails. Refactoring rails. <laughs> Vim course. Yep. Habits Stint for hackers. At that at that uh, writing Haskell. Yeah, right, exactly. Haskell <laughs> days. A brief jaunt into Haskell. Yep. Yeah. It's been a journey. Yeah, and this is quite a little um, little um, treasure trove we have here. A little time capsule. Totally, yeah. Makes me wonder we'll, where we'll be in 200 more episodes. I know. That's four this years. That's a long time. This will be a fun artifact to pass along to, you know, our grandkids. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll be like, here's hundreds of hours of us talking about, about like, things yeah, you no probably thanks. don't care about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. If it's not a TikTok, I'm not interested. Right. <laughs> right. Cool, man. Well, hey, uh, it's uh, it's good chat with you every week. Yeah, same. Let's wrap it up. Nice. All right. Notes for the show can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening for 200 episodes. Yeah. Please stay for 200 more. <laughs> Bye.